Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Teresa McKee. Teresa is the CEO of Work to Live, a transformational leadership coach, a certified mindfulness meditation facilitator, and an EFT practitioner. After years of observing people's angst in her individual coaching sessions and in-group trainings, Teresa realized that the one practice that could change everyone's state of being was mindfulness. So what began as monthly recordings for hospital-based home visiting teams to listen to while driving between client sessions actually turned into a Mindful Moment podcast, which is both produced in English and Spanish. Her goal through this podcast is to help people learn how to live a more enriching life with less stress and more contentment. As such, Teresa's podcast has now reached a million downloads, which is a huge milestone. Congratulations to her. And she'll talk more about that on the podcast. But ultimately, this episode is about how we can integrate mindfulness into our personal and professional lives as healthcare providers, and how we can use mindfulness as a, as a practice to help minimize our stress day to day, and ultimately our burnout risk and compassion fatigue risk. So you don't want to miss this episode. It's hugely valuable. Grab your drink of choice and join us. Hi, Teresa. Thank you for joining me. Hello, Jennifer. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. It's so great to have you here. Um, I've never really had a, a podcast dedicated to mindfulness specifically. We talk about it, but I'm really excited to to go a little deeper with you. I know this is your area of expertise and passion, and um, yeah, I'm just excited to to dive in. So, shall we? Absolutely. Very cool. So, uh, first of all, I just want to congratulate you. I don't usually lead with like somebody's podcast. <laughs> but I do think a congratulations is in order and it's top right now. Like your podcast, A Mindful Moment, has reached a million downloads. 
It has. It's a, It's been an amazing journey that started out sort of by accident. So I'm very grateful. Yeah. Very grateful for all the listeners. That's super cool. So can you tell us about the journey? I, I read about it a little bit, but I'd love to hear you say it. Yeah, absolutely. So I am, well, now my company, it started with just me, is a, a coaching component to a large countywide here in LA program that serves new moms or new parents right from the hospital, providing um, health education for babies and new parents and that sort of thing. And uh, it's a home visiting program. So it's very stressful. I think all of healthcare just has stress (laughs) built into it, right? Um, So we have nurses, clinical supervisors, um, parent educators, and they're going into these uh, new families' homes. So they don't know what they're going to expect. They don't, you know, it could be domestic violence. It could be lovely. It could be substance abuse. So they're walking in cold. And so Mm -hmm. I started writing a blog to try to help them calm down, you know, before they went into a home so they could stay focused. And got several comments and they loved the blog, but they didn't have time to read. And could I record it so they could listen to it in the car as they were driving to the client's homes? And so I was like, sure. And, you know, there were all kinds of technical problems because hospitals have a lot of firewalls and don't allow attachments. And mm-hmm. so I, I thought, well, I'll just set it up like a podcast for them. That's really how it started. And wow. then a few things happened. One is we started getting listeners, which I wasn't counting on. But then the second big thing that happened was COVID. Oh. And when COVID hit, Apple, I don't know how, I don't understand these things. They're like beyond my <laughs> comprehension, but Apple <laughs> picked us up as a, a essential listening for COVID-19 collection. Oh, and wow. so that's what really made everything jump because it was never, it was really never the intention. And now it's like, well, of course we're going to keep doing it because we're reaching a lot of people and helping them either calm down or really learn mindfulness or how to better self-regulate. And so that's really how it morphed into a podcast. That's beautiful, Teresa, because I love how it started with the intention just to help the staff. And I loved how you responded to what they needed in terms of giving the information. And that's that's awesome. So was this just a, a did it start just a, a year, a couple of years before COVID or? It's, no, it started uh late 2019. So it was just a few months before COVID. Yeah. So we had just kind of, and again, I, I kept thinking of it really until maybe six months ago. It's like this little side thing I do, you know, because I'm really busy with other things, but (laughs) if the goal is to really spread mindfulness, which is my goal, then it makes sense. So I kind of switched it around to be, I'm very dedicated to it as part of my real job, but I kept thinking of it as this little side thing I was doing, you know, to help people. And yeah, it's turned into something completely different now. Yeah, like it's super supportive because I've I've listened to a few episodes. So oh. really anyone could connect. Um, you talk about so many different things and and you have a, a great voice for podcasting too. And so I can see how um, everyone can kind of, uh, you know, attain calmness just listening to you as well. So that's really great. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. So tell me more about you and your story because I do understand that you have a company. So work to work to live work to live. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you're the CEO of your company. You have a master's in psychology. What I love about you as well is that you you implement kind of the theory with the action. So like the business and the psychology together in a way. But that, that's what I love. Um, when I read your bio, I just thought that was really good. And I think that is more of what we need in healthcare is not just the ideas and things we also need to implement them and sustain them. <laughs> um, I totally agree. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about, about your role there and how sure. that came to be? Yeah. And again, I, I am very open. I mean, I wasn't when I was younger. I was totally type A perfectionist, 
control freak. Um, but over the years with my own self-study and, and dealing with my own stress, I was in corporate America for a long time and it was mm-hmm. stressful and I was not happy. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just learned through uh, studying mindfulness, studying some other modalities to start learning to let go, to like quit trying to control everything, to be open to um, in mindfulness. It's called allowing, you know, you just mm-hmm. open yourself up to allow and accept whatever's occurring. And I really practiced that. And that's kind of what's led to a lot of these things because it gave me the ability, first of all, to listen much better. So I heard different opportunities that I hadn't heard before. Like I thought they were brand new. I'd never heard of this. And then after I, you know, after I did it or followed up on it, it was like I heard it every day. So right. <laughs> it was really this idea of shifting my mindset. Um, and so what had happened is I was kind of trans, uh, transforming, I guess you could call it, from a career in business consulting and accounting into something else, but I couldn't quite identify what. And uh, what had happened is I started my own practice for that. And I had a lot of great clients, a lot of them nonprofits and related to the health field. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would book an appointment, two hours to do someone's accounting, for instance. And I would go in and I was getting so irritated <laughs> because I would go in and the CEO or the executive director would say, well, do you have a few minutes to talk? I'd go in their office. They would take the whole time I had allotted And it was really a coaching session. I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but it was really, they wanted to talk about the stress they were under and how to resolve challenges and they needed some motivation. And so at first I was like, okay, this is not working because I can't spend all my time chatting with people. You know, I have have real work to do. And then (laughs) um, my first brilliant idea was to contact all of my clients. I think I had about 18 companies at the time. And I'm like, I'm just going to let them know I'm switching to remote work. I'm going to do it all from my office. That way there's no chit chat, right? Right. Focus on the numbers. (laughs) And they all said no. And oh. I was really surprised because they had other consultants that, you know, they did. Anyway, long story short, it was the comments I got. So I, and it was lovely. It's just, it took me a while to process, but it was things like, no, I always feel better when you come in mm. or the energy in the office is different when you're here. So they would not accept me trying to do the work somewhere else. And wow. that's when I sat down and had one of those, do I have some talent that I've been ignoring <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? that I'm not yeah. utilizing? And so I started, you know, just doing some research on, well, what, what job is that? Like, I didn't even really know, Yeah, you know, it's from the business world. Like, what is this? <laughs> not therapy. I'm not a therapist, but what is it? And so that's kind of how it started. And I had really just been doing it maybe a couple of years, I want to say, but I still had a couple, especially my nonprofits. I had a couple of nonprofits that, you know, they, I just couldn't let them go. They, they mm-hmm. didn't want to change to, to another business. They didn't think of me as a business person. That was part of the, the yeah, issue. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I happened to walk into um, one of those clients' offices one day to meet with the CEO. And I got there in the middle of a big drama. So I was quiet. I just stood there. I didn't know. I, there was yelling and screaming and all this oh. stuff going on. And then this person like stormed out of the office. So then I went into the CEO's office. I'm like, are you okay? What was that about? And she was just sort of I don't know, shell-shocked because they had just been awarded a grant, this grant to do this big county project. Mm -hmm. And the person who had just walked out the door was the only person in the company who knew how to do that. And so (laughs) she said, can you do that? And so I said, sure. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. Right place, right time. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how it started. And uh, so then I, then the panic set in, you know, I had to do it. I mean, it was like cramming for the biggest final of my life to like, right. (laughs) What does this look like? But uh, I made some mistakes at the beginning, you know, it wasn't the greatest at the very beginning. I, I don't think, but that's really how this work got started. It's how I ended up morphing into a company and hiring staff because 
we still do the project. That project is now 10 years old and we're, oh, we wow. get renewed every year to keep going. So it's great. But um, at the same time, I, I started getting other clients and I ended up working not just with the hospital teams, but I work with probably about maybe 20 to 25 home visiting agencies. I do work with the Department of Public Health, um, a lot of wellness programs. So it's it's just more, I keep right. saying more because I didn't do it. That's how I feel. I didn't do it. It just happened. Yeah. But um, it's turned into like a full blown support system that's all grounded in mindfulness and self-care and well-being is really the key, I think. So that's how that mm-hmm. happened. And so is it for the staff then of these organizations, basically, to support the staff and leadership? Most of the work we do is to support staff and leadership, but we branched out about, I think, five years ago to doing um, community workshops through various grants to, uh, and it's been one of the most rewarding things. It, we do them in elementary schools for the parents oh, and uh, the parents are Spanish speaking only and I don't speak Spanish. So the whole thing's been a very big learning curve. Um, so I have a translator and we go through the whole thing because they, they have, according to them, many fewer avenues to learn all of this. It's just not mm-hmm. as available in Spanish. So, and then I've seen with our podcast, we've got listeners in Brazil and Argentina. I'm like, this is so interesting because yeah. You don't think about that, but there's not as many resources available. So we did that up until the pandemic. Uh, and then, of course, we, you know, the school shut down. And uh, I just was contacted recently for the upcoming school year. So we'll go back and start doing that again, too. Well, beautiful, Teresa. Now I understand why you're so busy. <laughs> You know, on top of the podcast that you just, that was just kind of (laughs) something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a side (laughs) thing for the staff. That's beautiful. And I love how you're, you're quite um, connected to the healthcare community. So you've seen different um, landscapes really uh, during COVID as well then too. Wow. So yeah, it really is. So that's why this is a, a perfect time for you to be here because not only during the pandemic, but now that you know, the pandemics, I want to say lessened in a way, maybe in terms of intensity, like we're still, you know, we're still feeling it in healthcare, right? And, Absolutely. you know, at all levels, as you you can imagine. So let's like, take me back to what, or how you would define mindfulness, like when you said that thing, you know, that thing that kind of connected everything, you know, you described as mindfulness. So how do you define that? Yeah, mindfulness is such a simple sounding concept, but it's really complex. Mindfulness at its essence is being aware. And by that, I mean, being really aware of your surroundings. If you think about how distracted we are, how rushed we are, how much we don't listen really to what's going on. Mindfulness is about reversing that. So it's where you're really tuning in to your environment, everything that's going on and tuning in internally. And that's the part. And I see this a lot in healthcare. We shut down what's going on with us, right? we our job is to take care of everybody else. <laughs> so mindfulness helps undo that damaging process because you are, you become, the more you practice, the more aware you become of, oh, that pain in my shoulder is actually my body trying to tell me something and you start paying attention to it. Or when you have to make a decision, you start to notice that your gut is clenching and we just normally ignore all that stuff. But our system, you know, we're one system, not just a body and a brain. Um, separately, it all is here to support us if we listen. And so mindfulness is really about being aware of the inner and the outer. And then it's got a couple of little components to it that are very important. One is non-judgment. I don't know about you, but some of your listeners at least can relate to this. We have this little voice in our head that constantly criticizes, right? You're too, whatever, too short, too tall, too fat, too skinny, too dumb, too, you know, well, when you practice non-judgment, you start catching yourself. 
oh, I'm judging myself. Why am I judging mm. myself? And as you learn to stop judging yourself, it's so beautiful. You learn to stop judging other people. <laughs> so the non-judgment is a big part of it. And then the, the flip side of that is acceptance. Mm. We're human. We're flawed. We make mistakes. You know, we're not perfect. So mindfulness part of it is learning to practice, just accepting the moment for what it is. Okay. So um, and that's beautiful. And like, it's kind of interesting because when, you know, just the word itself, when you break it up, it does sound like it's all just consciousness, right? As opposed exactly. to, but it really is integrative is what you've described in terms of paying attention to your bodily changes or, uh, you know, what you, what you see visually or what you hear and what you understand. Um, so yeah, that's kind of cool. And I guess in healthcare, how can we, so, you know, uh, in terms of allowing things to just be, yes. <laughs> like we're healthcare providers, you know, we're there to help people. So we always want to be in action. I think doing, that is, yes. and doing. <laughs> so that's part of our practice. And, and I think it's part of our personalities too, in a lot of ways. Um, so how can we integrate or begin to practice mindfulness in such a way that we can still help people in the way that they need to, right? Or need us? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the myths about mindfulness is that you basically sit around and chant all day and you don't do anything. So I do want to correct that. Right. That, that, that's not quite how it works. Um, it's about being, well, first of all, some of it is about slowing down a little bit. So obviously not with your, when you're with a patient. That's not when you say, you know, I, I need to meditate now. But it's, it's a matter of you're slowing your mind down so that you're able to pay more attention to that patient's needs, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there are little nuances where, especially when you're busy, and I work with a lot of nurses, I know they're under just bang, bang, bang pressure, you know what I mean, all the time. But if, if we can slow our minds down a little bit, we pick up on things that we might have missed otherwise. So whether it's a, it's a, a patient's facial expression, or whether they're not sitting quite right, you know, why aren't, why are they a little off mm -hmm. maybe because there's a pain somewhere. There's these little things that are not big or obvious, but you do notice them once you start practicing mindfulness. And, and let me just say before I go on, mm -hmm. it is a practice. So you don't wake up tomorrow and say, okay, I'm going to be mindful today. And you're just, all of this magically happens. <laughs> there's right. a process to get there, but we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah, for um, sure. so, so outwardly, mindfulness is going to show up at work by, first of all, as you practice, you, you quiet that chatter that goes on right? So the chatter may be, let's say for instance, it's now two o'clock in the afternoon. You go into a patient's room. You haven't had lunch yet. You're already tired. Your feet hurt. You know, there's all the just normal human things going on. Mm -hmm. As you learn to be mindful, what happens is you, you can reset. So now it's like, nope, it doesn't matter what else has happened right now. I'm focused in this moment on this person in front of me. So it actually has been shown to really increase efficacy in healthcare as well as patient relationships, because they feel that connection. Yeah. And not in any way to say anything negative about a, a nurse rushing, because I, again, I understand what they're going through, but it, it not only calms the patient and makes them feel that you're, you're connected, but it's greatly improving the healthcare provider's health because mm -hmm. they're slowing down the stress response. So it can be as simple as a breathing technique right before you walk into the room. It completely re-regulates you. We get dysregulated when, when we're under that kind of stress and pressure all day. So mm -hmm. you get re-regulated. Well, on top of that, throughout the day, and there are some health care providers that are very healthy. So I want to say that first. I'm not trying to make a broad stroke here, but yeah. I know many, many healthcare providers that take terrible care of themselves because they are so outwardly focused 
And then they either get sick or they go out on leave or they're, you know, unhappy or cranky, or they're not sure they made the right career choice sometimes, like all those spiraling things that happen. And by practicing mindfulness, again, because you're paying attention to what's happening in and around you. So even for me, and I'm not a healthcare provider, I guess I'm a healthcare, I don't know what you call me. (laughs) I (laughs) I was going to say a Um, coach. (laughs) Um, I, I, I never noticed for, you know, 40 years that I clenched my teeth all the time. It's just a habit, right? Because I'm stressed. I clench my teeth. Well, now instantaneously, I'm like, Oh, I'm clenching my teeth. Okay. What do I need in this moment? Something's wrong or I wouldn't be clenching my teeth. Well, with healthcare providers, as they're racing from room to room or, you know, doing whatever they have to do, if they, they're, they may still be physically racing, but they're paying attention. And if they realize something hurts, something doesn't feel right. I'm contracting, you know, my shoulders are up at my ears, like whatever the sign is, they can take two minutes. Yeah. The two minutes is going to save them a lot of time for the rest of the day. Two minutes to check in, calm down, re-regulate. That is a huge benefit of mindfulness that really takes almost no time. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of practicing to get in the habit of paying attention. Wow. So um, is this something that you would have like staff be accountable to one another for? Like, is this something you would potentially recommend or like? It depends. I I am definitely for group meditations and accountability buddies, for instance, if you're struggling with it. But I really think the the most powerful motivator to do it is to want to feel good and to be able to fully enjoy your job instead of getting kind of sucked into the stress and burnout of the job. And then, you know, if it's a matter Mm -hmm. of for instance, okay, let me say mindfulness. I think you need that inner motivation to really kind of keep practicing meditation. I think an accountability buddy is great or a group because I, I'm sure you've never heard this, but the minute you say you need to meditate and the answer is I don't have time. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> if you, if you have other people to help hold you accountable, that might help you get over that initial hump. <laughs> so is, is meditation a form of mindfulness or is or like, cause I've often heard the two interchangeable. And so, um, and I literally wrote down like the common objection to meditation, as you said, <laughs> I don't have enough time. Um, yeah. <laughs> myself personally, I can probably meditate for five to 10 minutes, which is yeah. pretty good for me. That cause I know, I, I know I'm a pretty outward person in a lot of ways, but in, and I don't do it daily, but, um, I write. So for me, I, I find writing to be a form of meditation. Um, yeah, that's a contemplative practice. And meditation right. is also a contemplative practice. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's cool. a good question to ask because they are used interchangeably, but they're not quite the same thing. So mindfulness and mindful meditation. It's, so oh. mindful meditation is a type of meditation. Okay. And so they are pretty much used interchangeably because they're based on the same principles, which is largely around the breath and connecting mind and body. But they've had all religion, spirituality, any anything outside of evidence-based studies pretty much stripped away. Mm-hmm. But there are hundreds of types of meditation that might resonate for people you know, beyond mindful meditation. Um, many people consider prayer a form of meditation. Yeah. So there's a lot of different types. But yeah, what we focus on, because we're working with um, very left-brain 
clinical people usually they <laughs> they can they they respond better to mindful meditation than to you know sitting cross-legged and saying om or something so yeah okay so they they tend to prefer the mind body connection yeah most it's, of them and and because it's it's so well studied so it's yeah. in scientific journals so then they're they don't feel like you know it's going to be some woo woo thing that they don't want to get into so yeah it just right. it does work better in the hospitals i have in my experience Oh, very cool. Okay. I didn't realize that. So there were yeah. different forms that way. Are those my, are those meditations typically guided or are they, or could they be either or? Good question They're, again. Actually, they could be either or, um, but the, the heart of mindful meditation is focus, right? Mm-hmm. So it's um, where, you know, many other meditations, again, could have a spiritual aspect or it could be visualizing or a lot of guided meditations. Now I do some guided meditations and I will tell you the reason I do it is because people have such a hard time just focusing in silence. They're just not, we're not conditioned for it because we are human doers, not human beings. So (laughs) I'm for anything that works, right? Anything that works for you. But I will say, because you mentioned like you can meditate maybe 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. The focus of mindful meditation is to keep bringing your mind back to the present moment. That's, that's really all it is a kabillion times. So we sit and we usually focus on the breath because you take that with you everywhere, right? You, so you don't have, you don't have to have any Again, it's not like other forms of meditation. You don't have to use a cushion or bells or chimes or little symbols or anything like that. Um, I love that stuff, you know, but that's for my own personal practice. But for this, right. you don't need anything except your breath. And what many people don't understand is you're focusing on your breath. That's not the mindful part. <laughs> the mindful part through mindful meditation is when you notice your mind has wandered and then oh. you bring it back to your breath. So what oh. you're doing is you're rewiring your brain to keep learning to be focused. Oh, I've never heard it explained that way before. Yeah, that's I've, really the whole thing. Okay, like that makes a lot of sense to me though because your training is yes. so my clinical brain right, <laughs> is exactly. basically saying so I'm training my mind um yes. in doing that. So that's a, that's a normal response. And I've heard that, yeah. um but I never thought of it as training though. It's really training your ah, mind. So it's no different okay. than lifting weights to train your body. You're training your mind to behave differently. And, you know, there's apps. A lot of it's become very commercialized now. Right. So a lot, I saw something about mindful bananas or avocados. I'm like, come on. you know, this, is the, <laughs> this is really about training the mind. That's yes. really what it is. Yeah. Um, but the benefits are incredible. So when you meditate, um, and, and again, let me go back because I, I may have just sounded like I was being negative about apps. I'm not. I think mindfulness apps serve a purpose. Meditation apps serve a purpose. Um, and I think they're a great way. Uh, at first, I resisted them. And then I actually realized there is a real benefit to them for people starting out. Mm-hmm. So if you can just follow even an app or a guided meditation for two minutes, that's two minutes. That's two minutes that you practice staying focused. Mm-hmm. And I think the three minutes, the five minutes, the 10 minutes, you know, you do them here and there, all of those things are probably very beneficial for reducing stress. That is not enough to permanently rewire your brain. That's and it's not ask. enough, <laughs> it's not <laughs> enough uh, to get all of the health benefits. There are so many health benefits to this. So um, I don't know of a study yet that shows, because uh, one of the big benefits of practicing mindfulness and mindfulness meditation is that the more you learn to become present, the less you ruminate or worry. And if you think about the amount of stress that we generate ourselves from worrying about something that's already happened, you know, ruminating over it, I should have done this differently. Oh, they saw me mess up. Like whatever it was that already happened, it's over. 
or worrying about the future, right? What's going to happen? I'm going to hit traffic. What if I don't get home in time? What if I'm late picking up the kid? What? You know, blah, blah, blah. So these stories we tell ourselves are probably half of what makes us so stressed. Yeah. So mindfulness starts eliminating that. So your stress level drops dramatically. But so, so back to what I was saying, I'm not, I don't know about how many minutes a day it takes to, to get that benefit. Um, I have never seen a study just on that. But I do know that if you meditate 20 minutes minimum a day, every day consistently over time, and this is depending on the benefit, some of them take years to develop because one of the things they've shown it does is thicken the cerebral cortex. Mm-hmm. That takes years. You're not going to restructure your brain in a week, right? right. <laughs> it takes right. a long time. Yeah. Other benefits, uh, some of them start kicking in after seven and a half minutes of meditation. Hmm. So it just depends on which health thing you're, you know, if you're trying to work on one specific health thing, it's going to depend on what it is. But basically, if you, if you, so what I recommend now, because it's so hard for people to just calm down and focus is, okay, I don't care if it's two minutes. I've, I've asked people, I have a lot of, um, well, I'm sure everybody is, but there's a lot of people that have like small children, dogs, cats, like all this stuff going on at home. And so they're, you know, they say, I cannot even sit quietly for two minutes. And so I will say, then do you go to the bathroom by yourself? And they'll say, yes. I'm like, okay, you're going to make an extra trip to the bathroom. Just go to the bathroom, shut the door. Yeah. Two minutes, just two minutes by yourself to just start <laughs> practicing every day, right? There's always a way to squeeze it in. But what I recommend is that then, okay, do the two minutes or three minutes, whatever you can do. It's more important that you do it every day than it is the length of time. Okay. So, because you want it to become a habit, just like brushing your teeth. And then once you get comfortable with two or three minutes, and honestly, I have a lot of clients who are not comfortable for two minutes doing this. For some people, about 12% of the population, it's not effective. It can be triggering. If they've Mm -hmm. got issues they haven't resolved and they come up in that silence. So full disclaimer, if you try it and you get a really poor reaction, like you feel stressed, this is not for you. This is, Mm -hmm. you need to find another practice because we don't want anyone getting traumatized. Then add a minute a day is what I was going to say. So just start adding one minute a day or one minute every other day and you'll work up to the 20 minutes. Once you get there, you won't ever want to skip. Wow. So do you do 20 minutes a day? I do. Well, I do most of the time. I am not perfect. So there are days... If I oversleep or something happens, no. so that, but I make sure I spend a couple of minutes, you know, if I'm in one of those days that I spend a couple of minutes, no matter what I, I pause and take that moment. And then if I'm able to, maybe I'll, I, my practice is early in the morning. Okay. Um, I get up really early. And so it's quiet. It's four o'clock in the morning. I can meditate, but if that gets blown because I have to be somewhere at five 30 and it's LA traffic, then it gets blown. Yeah. Um, yeah. I may try to do it at night when I get home, but I just know myself, if I meditate at night, I'm exhausted when I get go to bed. Okay. So if, if it's at night, I just fall asleep. And <laughs> the point it's, I mean, again, you can use it for a sleep, you know, a yeah. sleep aid, but that's not the point of it. The point is to wake your brain up, not to put it to sleep. So, <laughs> cause I was going to say that happens to me a lot. If I try it at night, I just end up falling asleep and yeah. I don't think that's the point of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's good that you mentioned that about it potentially being triggering because as you were describing um, the method there with meditation, I did wonder if some people were just not comfortable in stillness and it could be related to to past trauma or anything related to that. So there it's possible. So for someone, um, and I don't know if you could explain this if um, you feel comfortable, but for someone who isn't comfortable then in stillness and doing mindful meditation is mindful. Is there other mindfulness practices that might be better serving? Yeah. Great, great 
question. Um, yeah, there's a lot of work going on right now in neurodiversity in mindfulness and meditation. And so first of all, one of the things is you don't have to be in silence if that makes you uncomfortable. So, but it's an experiment because it's still, it still may not be comfortable for you, but one is to utilize counting. So instead of focusing on your breath in silence, which really opens up your ability to kind of root around in the mind, you're counting. So you've got something to focus on that doesn't, it's not triggering. Usually it's, you're counting something out of sequence, for example, is one out of UCLA, their uh, meditation research center came up with a four, seven, eight breathing. So you breathe into a count of four, you hold it to a count of seven, you blow out to a count of eight. So you're so busy counting and trying to remember Mm-hmm. Am I on four or seven or eight? Right. It keeps your mind from doing the chitter chatter, um, but you're not just kind of floating on your own with your own thoughts. So that's one way. Um, another way is tied to there's all kinds of mindful meditations uh, besides just sitting in stillness. So one is walking, which I love walking meditations. And I've never had anyone have an adverse reaction to that. You go out, preferably with some kind of nature around. It can be in a city, but you know, where there's trees or grass or something, and you just pay attention again to every detail, like the shape of a leaf, the color, maybe the the fractal patterns. You know, you're trying to really just focus either on something in the scenery or you're focusing on every detail of your body. Mm. What hits first with your foot? Is it the heel? Is it the ball? Is it the toe? Is your gait even? Is it fast? Is it slow? Right. So it's it's a mindful practice. It's called a, a walking meditation, but it's not that sort of sitting in stillness. So there is, right. there are a whole lot of different types, but they all have the same goal, which is that focus to get your brain to focus instead right. of scattered. Yeah. So it's still for the purpose of retraining the mind. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it still has the same benefit. Same benefit. Beautiful. Yeah. I was going to say like, I, I'm a a physiotherapist. Um, And so I I would say that we're pretty mindful practitioners uh, when it comes to our body awareness and um, that analysis of ourselves and others. Um, It's just part of what we do. And I think through our practice as well, we, we kind of I can't count how many times over the years, like, you know, I've had patients say to me, oh, like, I've never noticed that before. I've never realized that. And and then, you know, lately, it's been a lot of um, how it's supposed to feel for someone, right? Like, you know, so now I have a patient, for example, and he'll say like, you know, that feels really good. Like, it's just like, he really connects on all, on all levels um, with the way his body is moving and how it, you know, how his mind feels about that. And just, yeah, so it's quite, it's quite awesome to, um, to see in another person too, when they, they make that connection for themselves as well. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite cool to see. Um, so what That's gets... Yeah, like it's, I'm not realizing it. It's one of the reasons why I love my practice. You know, it's such a physical practice, but it's also very integrative that way as well. And I'm seeing that more and more and practicing that more and more with patients. So really cool. It's such Uh, a personal connection, you know? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, So what gets in our way? (laughs) We we talked a little bit about trauma, really, but uh, what gets in our way of of practicing mindfully? Like, you know, when you mentioned things about traffic, for example, um, you know, I loved how you talked about our own inner critic and, you know, thinking about the future, but also ruminating about the past. I'm definitely a ruminator. 
<laughs> I'd like to say like a ruminator reflector. I like to learn from my rumination okay. though. <laughs> if I can rationalize it that I way. Like that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to hold on to it. It's something I work on. I'm getting better. Um, but yeah, is that all ego? Is that all, you know, is that what we call ego? <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of ego. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it for a long time now, the ego hasn't changed like over the millennia, right? right? I don't know why it hasn't evolved or whatever you want to call it. So it's still in always in that mode of look for danger, look for negative, you know, the negative bias. We have, all of us have a negative bias because of that ego. The ego is like, is that going to be dangerous? Is that safe? But it's misinterpreting, you know, we're no longer being chased by wild animals or, you know, starving to death in the, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And so what happens is it's a matter it's a matter of not being aware. It's a matter of being mindless. We don't realize we're allowing our ego to dictate. Mm. And we need the ego. I mean, we, we have to have an ego. So it's it serves an important person purpose. Sometimes we really are in danger. There's one. Um, but another <laughs> is the ego is really, you know, we wouldn't understand our identity without the ego. So, you know, I don't want people to make the ego their enemy. But the problem is just a matter of we we haven't been taking responsibility for it because we're not aware that of what it's doing to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the biggest difference with mindfulness, and by the way, one of the benefits of mindfulness and mindfulness meditation is it helps shrink the amygdala. And the amygdala is the actual part of the brain. I always say like the ego talks to the amygdala. That's who it's mm-hmm. telling like, turn on the stress response. Right. Um, the amygdala is what floods us with all those stress hormones. So when we're operating that way, which is how the majority of people operate on a day-to-day basis, then what they're doing all day is reacting. They're reacting to the circumstance around them. Mm. And, but it's through a story. It's through a lens of someone insulted me. That's like danger. You know what I mean? So Mm. it's an overreaction. A lot of times when you're in traffic, what do we do in traffic when we're stuck? Yeah, we get upset. We get upset. We start yelling at people <laughs> yeah. through the glass or yeah. some people, you know, honk or, okay, what is that accomplishing, right? It does right. nothing except turn on our own stress response. Okay. The, yeah. the, the, the driver, whether they're a good driver or bad driver, that's a judgment, but whatever they're doing <laughs> yes. has nothing to, I'm fine. I'm safe. Right. Yeah. So it's just my ego, the amygdala going, oh, this is possibly danger. And then we get all worked up. We're coated just from head to toe in stress hormones, and we only hurt ourselves. So that's the typical reactionary behavior that we do all day long. You know, somebody makes a mistake, we get upset. Somebody doesn't show up for something on time, we get upset. So we're upsetting ourselves all day long. Mm -hmm. The mindfulness path is really where we learn to respond. And by responding instead of reacting, it means you just take that pause and again, I am not superhuman. It's not like I live in Los Angeles. Believe me, the traffic <laughs> is a test all the time. Yeah. But you kind of just learn to reframe. So like someone, and I see some crazy, I just saw it last week where it's like, what is wrong with people? So they're going to kill themselves. But yeah. I, I now, instead of getting angry, I try to have the thought of, okay, maybe they're in a hurry for a really good reason. I don't know. Right. I don't know why they're cutting in front of every car and driving on the shoulder. Or I hope they make it safe to wherever they're going and they don't harm anyone else. Like I try to turn it into something more empathetic or compassionate or at least neutral, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you really can't find compassion for someone who's really you know, behaving unacceptably, <laughs> but yeah. you can at least uh, aim for something that's neutral. And, if, and the worst case scenario, and this is just for me, but I lived a long time being stressed all the time. 
And the stress response releases cortisol. And cortisol is what packs on that fat around the belly that used to be cutely called a muffin top. And now that obesity is out of control, it's that's a problem, right? Yeah. So I just, I'll ask myself, do I want to add inches to that area? Because I'm trying to get the last of them off, right? So do I really want to add, do I want to pack on more fat right there over this stranger that's doing something I don't like? No, I don't, right? So I get myself back centered right away. Like, nope, that's not worth it. So it's it's really a matter of, you know, it's about taking care. This is the ultimate form of self-care yeah. where you're not letting other people influence how you're operating or responding to life. I love that. I love how you put that. I was going to ask you actually, um, how do you go from such a high stress state to a more calm state in a moment's time and working in healthcare, things change on a dime, right? Things, you know, we have a plan, but things never, I'm going to be honest, never go as planned. <laughs> and I, never, I mean, that's, no. that's part of what I love about healthcare. I'm going to be honest with you. I love with that, you know, we adapt. And I think that makes us all better in the end in terms of our resilience and things like I, there's benefit to that, but it can be pretty stressful. And I guess that, that accumulation of it, even in one day, Uh, And the transference of it from moment to moment, how do we neutralize in that moment? I know you talked about breath um, and I like the concept of of going neutral as opposed to, um, as opposed to going to just, you know, completely non-judgmental, completely like positive. (laughs) It's a bit of a stretch in a moment's time, (laughs) but you know, and that's one of the reasons why I love reflection because I think it makes me aware, but sometimes I wish I had that foresight earlier on. Right. So, yeah. So anything you can add to that? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of strange little things you can do. So I I would preface this by saying a lot of people think that the brain knows how we feel, Hmm. but the brain does not know how we feel. It's waiting for a stimulus before it decides what hormones to release. And that stimulus can be an external event it can be a pain in your body. It can be a thought, right? Mm-hmm. So we're sending the message to the brain of how we feel subconsciously. You know, we're not sitting there going, okay, how do I feel? I'm going to put in an order. We don't do it that way. Right, it just right. goes, right? It's yeah. instantaneous. Yeah. And definitely. so there are some uh, specific activities that sort of trick the brain. I don't, I, I say trick just because it seems like a trick, but I mean, it's just the way physiology works. Yeah. So one is to go back to the breath, because that's the easiest thing, especially when you are running from room to room or, you know, trying to get across a hospital in five minutes or, you know, whatever's going on in your life. Or if you're in school, trying to get across a campus and not be late. Mm-hmm. You can do this as you're moving. You don't have to stop and sit. But the trick is when you breathe in for a shorter length of time, than you breathe out. So in other words, your out breath is longer than your in breath it actually sends the stimulus to the brain to turn on the relaxation response. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to plop down and relax. It just means you're going to get hormones like dopamine. So it's going to make you feel better instead of the stress hormones. Mm. So you can, uh, I just heard this morning, I was uh, in a class and uh, somebody called it, uh, they use a 7-Eleven, I guess, to help remember because of the little the store chain. Yeah. Uh, so you breathe into a count of seven, breathe, breathe out to a count of 11. I usually use just something simple like I breathe into a count of three, out to a count of six, so I don't have to think about it. But it's that longer out breath that sends a signal to go, oh, well, she's relaxed. Look how slowly she's breathing out. Because think about how you breathe when you're stressed, right? Yeah. So you can just pause, count. Now, you may have to do it three or four times, but you'll find what it does and what the studies show, it re-regulates you. You're becoming dysregulated as you're getting more and more stressed. It just re-regulates you. That's it. 
Um, another one I use all the time in my workshops, and I use these for the home visitors. I tell them to do this right before they walk into a house, is sigh with relief. So when you sigh with relief, you're sending a message to the brain to say, everything's great, right? So you just take a deep breath in. You're pretending at first to sigh with relief because you know you're feeling stressed. But once you sigh with relief, and again, you can do it a couple of times, do it slowly so you don't get lightheaded, but you just, and when you do that, and you can feel it actually, if if it's quiet, you can feel it. You almost get like the little goose bumpy things on your arms, like, oh, I do feel okay. Even if you didn't feel okay two seconds yeah. before. So that's another really that. quick one. I've experienced that recently. Yeah. Sorry to oh. cut you off. Yeah. Like now that, but I've never realized I was doing that. Like I never realized it, it was a technique, but yeah. you know, I'd be running the floors and like near lunchtime, I, I know that I do that when I've actually got a moment to chart or whatever, I actually do breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> to me, it's like getting my breath, but, yeah. but I think I'm actually breathing a sigh of relief. So now that you mentioned that, so interesting. Okay. Yeah, you have good instincts. <laughs> um, another one, if you, if you have a chair, I don't know that it would work standing up, but if you, you know, if you have a, a workstation is to um, fold your hands behind your head, you know, like you're and stretch back. This is, this is really interesting. And I just learned this one recently, but what happens is when you're in that position, so you've got your arms up and your head back, I know they can't see me on the podcast, but you know, like you're kicking back when you do that, what happens is it opens up all of your airways. So nothing's constricted. And I tried it this morning. I'm like, well, holy cow, that works. (laughs) Oh, you're fine. You've got your hands behind your, you know, head stretching out. Takes, you know, 30 seconds and it gives you an instant sense, not only of breathing, but it, it's another way to re-regulate. It sends that signal to your brain that, oh, you wouldn't be kicking back with your hands behind your head if anything was wrong, I guess. You know? Right. It's so true. Because yeah. we're we're so the opposite. We're so guarded yeah. and closed off a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. We scrunch up. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Those are great tips. Thank you. Sure. A couple more questions. So <laughs> Do you know if there's any connection to mindfulness and burnout? I I know I've come across like research that recommends it. Do you have you as well? Like, is this partly why? Yeah, there's a lot of, well, actually, because, you know, especially with all the workshops we do, I'm Mm. integrating a lot of things besides mindfulness into teamwork and to development. Stress is the antecedent to burnout. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get stressed, you never get burnout. <laughs> so, so that's one of the reasons why if, if you start with stress, it's a lot easier to manage the stress. But once you get to the burnout stage, um, if that's happened or you're close to that happening, mindfulness is so helpful with so many things. I mean, one of the benefits of, of mindfulness and mindfulness meditation is that it is, has been shown to reduce um, depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So typically by the time you're getting burned out or even worse, cause the next phase is compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. So before you get to those two, if you can deal with it at the stress level, by all means deal with it. But once you're in, you know, once you've gotten to that stage and I've been burned out a couple of times in my life, um, it's just an awful feeling because you feel bad about yourself. You know, you feel like you're failing somehow, or you're not doing something. You kind of feel lost. Like now what? Do I have to change careers? I mean, your, your brain just starts going to all of these. I never want to go back there again. It's horrible. You know, we tell right. ourselves these stories. Yeah. So again, mindfulness brings you back to in this moment. How am I feeling in this moment? Like if you stop thinking about the job, you stop thinking about your patients, you just, you're, let's say you, you're burned out and you, you're taking a sick day in your home. Well, in that moment, are you okay? You're probably okay, right? You're just sitting on your couch 
previously worrying about everything, but if you just bring it, you know, present, then now you're not even worrying about anything. Well, then you can just, you, you go, you may only go two minutes before you feel your mind going there again. Okay. They're probably going to get rid of me now because I'm not, you know, meeting my ex, their expectations, bring it back. Cause those are stories. You don't know. We don't know what anybody's doing. We don't know what anybody's thinking. So if you just bring it back again, oh, okay, wait, I'm fine in this moment. Well, as you get a little bit through that, cause again, it's a practice, right? It's very alien feeling. I'm going to tell you at first. Yeah. Then, then what you can start doing is if you start really just reading some texts about mindfulness, there's wonderful books out there, or you listen to a podcast or you watch a video. But when you start just kind of getting the idea of the judgment part, because I think one of the biggest problems with burnout is the self-judgment and the judgment, you know, becomes adversarial. I'm burned out. It's the hospital's fault. They're terrible. You know what I mean? So Uh, you're, you're, you're going exactly where I was just going to (laughs) bring you, (laughs) which is, yes. What do you say? Because it's an occupational hazard. Right. So, right. right. So what do you, I guess, how do you, um, yeah, keep going. I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, that's exactly where I wanted you to go. So thank you. (laughs) I love when that happens. (laughs) So basically, you know, I mean, and again, this is a, this is a process, you know, that you have to, you do need some kind of a guide if you're not familiar with it, but you can get it from a book. You can get it, like I said, all over the internet, but basically, first of all, the first thing that, or the way I practice this is, okay, I, I don't know what's happening at the hospital. I am not in the behind the scenes planning strategy administration of the hospital, right? So I don't really know. That's all. I'm not saying they, not condoning. Let's say, let's say they really pushed, pushed a person too far. Who knows? Okay. But I'm not condoning behavior. I'm just saying, you know what? It's not my place. I can't, I can't factually assess everything that's happened at the hospital. So Mm -hmm. let's just take that off the plate for a minute. Let's look at myself. Why am I judging myself so harshly? And as you start to explore that, at the beginning, you don't even have to explore because the odds are you're so stressed, it's just going to be triggering, right? So what I do is I start with forgiveness, just self-forgiveness. Okay, I don't care what I did. Maybe I blew it. I don't care. The point is I forgive myself for judging myself about it. So you just you don't start with the act, somebody else's act. Just I'm going to forgive myself for judging myself so harshly because what do I need in this moment? I need self-compassion, not self-judgment. And then there are self-compassion um, meditations that you can do. So you can do a a meditation. You can start with a small one. There's a lot of them on the apps or, you know, again, you can find guided meditations, but you want to start with, I mean, this is true with any group, any organization, it all comes down to the individual, Mm -hmm. each individual. That's where it starts. Same thing for yourself. So you start with, I'm being really hard on myself. If, If this was my best friend who was going through this, would I tell her she was terrible and lazy and did a bad job? No, you would say, no, you were fantastic and you did your best and it was wonderful and you deserve to, you know, be relaxed. You would comfort that person, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the heart of self-compassion is comfort yourself. Put your hand over your heart and say, it's okay. I love myself. I'm not going to judge myself. I can think about the details later. Right now, what I need is compassion. Yeah. Love that. And then again, you start calming down. Then you're able to see more clearly because you're not telling the stories and then it, it actually gets much better from there. Up. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But it really does start with self. Yeah. And um, okay, I got you. And and I was just going to say, can mindfulness ever feel not pleasant? Yeah. Uh, like I know we talked about triggering and stuff, but can it be like or an intuitive, not like not a good feeling sense? Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, again, for some people it is triggering and, and it's not recommended for those people. Right. For, for probably many of us, I've certainly had unpleasant meditation experiences. Okay. And so, so there's two things about this. Number one is you're always in control. You know, you're not being hypnotized. So if you're meditating and it starts to feel uncomfortable, you just stop. Mm-hmm. And I recommend, and, and I don't say stop forever. I say stop in that moment, get grounded. So drink a glass of water, go outside for a couple of minutes, and then decide how you feel. Because again, it's all about checking in what's going on. Usually when I have a, a poor uh, experience, and I've had just very few uh, bad, bad trips, not bad experiences, <laughs> um, it's, it's either because I have been, I do a lot of self-study and maybe I've been exploring in some areas that are getting a little far out there. And it's probably, my guess is it's triggered my mm-hmm. ego and amygdala to go, what are you dipping into here? This doesn't sound safe or normal. This is way too woo-woo or something. Yeah. But anyway, it could be that, it could be that you've had a, just a really traumatizing day and just that stopping for that moment and just focusing on your mind. It's not the right time. Like you mm-hmm. haven't given yourself time to heal or recuperate from whatever happened. Um, but again, what I say is, you know, try it, don't get a good experience, stop. You can decide to try again, maybe the same day, or you can say, I'm going to wait a couple of days so that you can reflect back. It's not ruminating then, right? You're yeah. reflecting back to go, what's the difference between Tuesday and today, Thursday? Yeah. I feel a lot better today. Let me try it again. So then you just kind of get a feel for when it's a good time to meditate. Another thing too, I want to say quickly is when you're really under pressure, and I'm, now I'm probably going to like upset every mindfulness teacher out there, but when you are <laughs> under severe pressure yeah. and time constraints and you say, okay, I have to meditate for 20 minutes right now. I don't think that's effective. It's not for me because in my mind me. it's just, what I'm doing is this, looking at the clock every two minutes. Is it done? Is it done? Because that's not, you know, that's not helpful. So, and that's when, like I said, then that's the time I go, okay, I'm just going to stop and take, you know, maybe a few deep breaths, set a, set a good intention for the day and go and let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the stress from your day. So everyone else, since I practice this, I have to do all the time, but for all the healthcare workers, they need to let it go when they leave work, right? L- leave it at work, go home. And if you don't feel like meditating, don't meditate, but you can be mindful without ever meditating. You can pay attention to how you wash the dishes. You can pay, you can eat mindfully. You can, you know, there are, you can do it in every single, when you brush your teeth, you can pay attention to every feeling, smell, sensation while you're brushing your teeth. All of those things increase mindfulness. Beautiful. I love that, Teresa. So I understand that you're writing a book that's soon to be public on top of everything else. I am. <laughs> Forgot about that. No, it's- I never forget about that. It's just been this ongoing crazy thing. Yes, I am. <laughs> and what's what's its title and what's it about and when well, will it be published? <laughs> The title is Dynamic Responsibility. Responsibility. Love that. So the ability to respond. And it's really pulling together all of the stuff that I've learned and taught over the past at least 10 years, but with a mindful foundation for really just how to live, work, and and be um, much happier and healthier. We just make our lives so difficult. But part of the problem is we don't take accountability for the creating the life we have. And so it's really focused on that. The reason mm. I said it's this thing now is because I <laughs> I uh, had started it a while back, set it aside because I, I was really busy. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to really dedicate time to do this. I got the book almost done. I uh, took a trip 
uh, I'm in LA and I took a trip up to Pismo beach and checked into some little motel. Like, so no one could bother me, stayed a week, (laughs) really got the bulk of the rest of it done. And literally a week, I think it was a week or two later, COVID hit. And I've got all the tedious stuff left, like all the resources and references and all, and the proofreading. So now, how long have we been under these conditions? <laughs> I was going to say, was, you're talking back in 2020 then. <laughs> so it's an ongoing joke with my staff now because I'll book a day. I'm like, I'm going to finish the book today. And then of course stuff happens every, so yes, it's supposed to be published this year. Okay. <laughs> and I'm so- really, really dedicated to it. So I, I think I'll get, to get it done because it's so close, but yeah, it's just crazy that you know, how disrupted our lives became. <laughs> Honestly. And like for two years, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's just, we were And we thought it was so going to be two weeks, you know, so right. like, oh, two years later, we're yeah. just now starting to put our lives back together. Yeah. And I do remember that in the beginning and they said it would be a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you never know, right? Like maybe there's more to add or who knows? Like, I well, mean, I, I have to tell you, one of the things that I talked to my staff about was I'm glad in a way now I didn't, because if I had just published it then right before the pandemic, it would have not, it didn't have the right tone anymore. I really had to go back and rewrite a lot. So maybe it's more beneficial now because so many people are trying to kind of figure out where they're going and how to do it. So yeah, I think it happened for, not not the pandemic. I think the delay of the book happened for a reason. (laughs) Right. No, for sure. That's awesome. And where can people connect with you, Teresa, to listen to your podcast and your website? So we have a website, amindfulmoment.com. And then all of our social media is a mindful moment podcast. So all of the regulars, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So they can definitely connect with us there. And if they're interested in learning um, any information about other forms of development within, you know, personal development, team development, leadership, development, whatever it is, they can go to um, worktolivewell.org. And it's the number okay. two, not the letters T-O. Okay. So it's worktolivewell.org. Oh, we have a lot of free well. resources and recommended reading and blogs. And so, yeah. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. So I hope people check you out, check your podcast out, check your resources out. Because I I do think in addition to this episode, there's so much value that you have. Like I can tell that there's just so much (laughs) information and that you've accumulated over the years and experiences. And so I'm very grateful to you for sharing even just a fraction of that with me today. And I think just that will be powerful for, I know it has been for me, um, but also for listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope your listeners really take to heart that, you know, that saying you can't pour from an empty pitcher, they've got to take care of themselves because they do want to be of service. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.